winter is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Watchers of Westeros, a Game of Thrones podcast. We are back this week to discuss the eighth episode of season six of Game of Thrones. No one. Eight episodes in. Eight episodes in. And we finally got a dud. We finally, we finally, <laughs> finally got a dud. Uh, well, at least I think it's a dud. We will, we will discuss and debate back and forth and not, uh, not entirely, not entirely a dud, just mostly, mostly a dud, <laughs> mostly a dud, uh, but we'll get into all that, what works, what didn't, and uh, so much more. But first, introductions are in order if you are new to the podcast or you've forgotten who we are. My name is Dominic and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Hello, Dominic and all listeners who are tuning in to the Watchers of Westeros. And Dominic, I'm going to be sitting on the opposite side of the fence yeah. to you this episode because because you have openly admitted that you're not a big fan of this episode. Mm-hmm. But I would say that I am a much bigger fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but... I, I really enjoyed this episode, to be honest. Well, good, good. I felt like there was, I felt there were a lot of good moments in this, which kind of make it important in relation to the end of the season more than, I guess, the episode itself. But mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed most of the scenes for what they were. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I won't say. I think Dud is too strong. I think Dud is too strong. But it, it was definitely the, the the weakest episode of this season. And uh, to me, it just felt a bit. It it just felt a bit um, odd. Like we just we we went through all of this stuff with, uh, with River Run and the Blackfish and the Tullys, and it just kind of ended without any real. Um, uh, celebration or anything it just kind of finished and mm. I, I i didn't I, I didn't love that i felt like that was we spent a, a lot more time we spent a lot of time there and i felt like we were leading to something else and instead it, it wound up almost feeling like a nothing storyline where it didn't go anywhere it didn't pay off in any in any real significant way that's going to that's going to affect things down the line well, the way I look at that, Dominic, is it depends on your interpretation. Has this storyline really concluded, mm. or is there more to come? That's a good question. Yeah. So we'll we'll get, but we will we will get to that and 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 so much more in this episode. But we're gonna we're gonna start we're gonna circle back to uh, to River Run uh, because there's a lot there. 
Um, there was some good uh, character interaction and 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 that sort of thing, and 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 worthwhile uh, worthwhile stuff that happened. But I guess the ultimate point, as you raised, is is it over? And in the grand scheme of things, was it worth it? But what, like I said, we'll come back to that. We're gonna start in King's Landing, where. Uh, we see a little confrontation be- between a couple of sparrows. Sparrows? Sparrows? Who are who are the sparrows? Uh, sparrows. That's what, are they that's a new what, group in Game of Thrones? Yeah. If I miss something, that's what happens when you start to say you start to say sparrow, and then you think about saying Lancel, and then you get sparrow. Um, uh, the sparrows, led by Lancel, uh, they show up at the uh, at the Red Keep to uh, to pick up Cersei, and uh, well. She doesn't want to go, and the mountain attacks. And in the first of of several brutal killings by Clegane brothers in this episode, uh, we get this. He he rips the head off of one of the one of the sparrows, and this sets into a course of action that ultimately ends with the high sparrow suggesting, I think, to Tommen to get rid of the trial by combat, thus removing Cersei's ace in the hole. Uh what what did you make of this little storyline uh with with Cersei and the mountain and Tommen and and the sparrows? I find it pretty intriguing to be honest. It was quite compelling to see what Cersei's reaction was really going to be. I felt she was the character who was the central focus of that storyline this week at least. You know, we've had a look at Jamie and Elena and Marjorie, but it was Cersei's week in King's Landing. And uh, there was a little bit of a disappointment to this episode. Um, I know, I, I know I, I'm kind of trying to speak in positive terms of, of this episode, but the, the, the minor disappointment was that I don't think we saw enough mountain action, if mm. I'm being honest. I felt that the preview of this episode and the season really bigged up this conflict between Lancel and Cersei and the mountain kind of acting as a as a violent intermediary in this affair but he only killed one sparrow really granted he did rip the sparrow's head off and that was probably enough to intimidate (laughs) the rest of them but I wanted to see him really put some damage to them you know and I think at the very least, if he was going to just kill one sparrow, kill Lancel Lannister. Mm-hmm. You know, that would have been symbolic. It would have had repercussions that you were probably looking for this episode. You know, Kevin, his uncle, or his father even, is hand to the king. You know, it, th- there could have been a lot of twists and turns to that. But, you know, killing a sparrow who no one really cares about, and we're not really big fans of the sparrows anyway. Yeah, I don't really think it had much weight other than saying well, showing the audience what I guess we've already (laughs) guessed is what the mountain is all about and that he's just, he's this brute force and that no one can really challenge him, at least on a one-to-one level. Mm -hmm. Um, But it remains to be seen how far the trial by combat story really goes. I mean, I'm going to throw the question to you before I kind of take the whole floor on this, but um, with the... Well, first of all, what did you make of the whole Cersei, Mountain and Kyburn scene with the Sparrows, the conflict between them and Lancel? But also, were you surprised at 
King Tommen's announcement, particularly about the trial by combat and the fan theory, particularly from book readers that's been going around, of the Clegane Ball. Clegane Ball, yeah. You know, where, where, does, that, where does that stand? <laughs> yeah, we saw this week, we saw the end. I, I, well, I don't think we saw, maybe not necessarily the end of Clegane Ball, but it, it, it won't happen the way we thought it was going to happen, I think. I think we're going in a, in a, a different direction that uh, for, for Cersei's trial that could end up being much more um, much more devastating for uh, for other characters. And, and we'll get to that. We'll get to uh, Kyburn's re- rumor in, in just a second. Uh, but the the scene with the mountain and the sparrows, um, I, I found that that scene that scene was more dramatic in the trailers. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, the whole I choose violence uh, a, a thing from Cersei. I, I thought that came that came across a lot more effectively in the trailers than it did in the actual episode. Uh, it was still brutal, but I, I agree with you. Maybe they needed to uh, that maybe they should have made that that death someone a little bit more meaningful, although. Who knows? Maybe they they still need Lancel for something or other down the line. Um, but we'll we'll, we'll Although, see about I'll, that. I'll throw the question again to you, following on from that, kind of enhancing your answer there. But do you feel that the trailer actually contributed to the underwhelming nature of this scene? Of this scene, yeah. of this scene in particular, yes. yes, yeah. With the I choose violence, I choose violence, yeah. Because it, in the in the trailer, it, it seemed like everything was about to explode into chaos when she said this. Instead, one dude got his head ripped off, which, you know, is not insignificant. Uh, but it is, you know, it's not not quite what I what I or I think a lot of people had in mind when we first heard the, her utter those words. I choose violence back uh, several months ago. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that because really Cersei at that point when she said that line, it seemed as though it was a turning point in her character story arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it doesn't really seem to do much other than just showcase Cersei wanting to protect herself, you know, because to be fair, the Sparrows came to collect her or, you know, apprehend her and take her to the Sept of mm-hmm. Baelor where the High Septum was. Yeah, and, and nothing, um, nothing good happens at the Sept of Baelor as we know. Well, we, we know. now know that there's even more added significance to the Sept of Baelor because that's where the trial is going to be held, I believe, yeah. for Soloris and Cersei. That was part of if, King Tommen's announcement. If we get to the trial. Yes. I mean, do you, do you not think we will? I'm pretty certain well, that we will, but well, I, we may get to say the start of the trial. Yes, I don't okay. think we'll, we will get to any sort of decision. I think. Uh, well, no. let's let's get into let's get into it. Um, one of the last things we hear from Cersei, or, or, or not even Cersei, uh, but but Kyburn, is he investigated a rumor that she heard, and she looked he, he looked into it and he found that this rumor is far more than just a rumor, that there is more to it. What do you think that is? I have to say this has really intrigued me. This is certainly the most intriguing part of the episode. And 
in typical fashion, there was an ad break after this, and I was like, "Oh my god, I want to know oh, more." You have to, you have to watch the show with ad breaks. Um, yes, even online. Uh, oh, only man. two minute ad breaks, though. Oh, man. It's not like HBO in America. HBO, Dominic yeah, Sky is, has adverts. Huh? This is like this is like when I watch Doctor Who in Canada. It's like they have to put in they have to put in ad breaks to to that. But whereas you guys, when you watch it on the BBC, you don't have to. No. Not to have ad breaks, so it, it balances out. Is what I'm saying. It balances exactly. Out. You get ad well, breaks, ad breaks in Game of Thrones. I get them in Doctor Who. Yeah. Although I'm I'm still envious because I'd rather not have ad breaks in Game of Thrones as yeah. I don't really watch Doctor Who that much. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Back to the rumor. Um, so we're not they're... starting the Watchers of the Tardis. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that off air, Dominic. We'll talk about that off air. The Time Lords strike back. <laughs> Again, we'll talk about that one <laughs> off there, actually. Um, that one's got some legs to it. Yeah. <laughs> but back to the rumor. That I, I've listened to a number of podcasts, read a number of reviews, and there have been loads of suggestions about what this rumor could be. So some people have talked about um, you know, White Walkers. You know, It could be the possibility that they uh, cemented uh, the knowledge that White Walkers exist and they're returning. It could be about, um, you know, the wildfire. That has really been a big theory that has gone around. Yeah. And yeah. one that I am leaning perhaps towards yeah, too, you know. Yeah. Um, another one that I initially thought of actually was about the fact that Cersei discovered who really killed Joffrey. Mm. Um, you know, perhaps she found out about the meeting between Littlefinger and Elena, mm. something like that. Yeah. Um, there was a possibility. But... The other one, of course, is the Hound's return. And the way that I'm trying to look at this scene is within its context, because there are loads of suggestions that have been going around of, oh, she may well have discovered, I don't know, what's going on in the North mm -hmm. in terms of Sansa and the White Wolf. Yeah, well, that's all well and good that she may know that. But why bring it up in this scene? What's the relevance? You know, I feel like he has, the Kyburn has, spoken to Cersei in that moment and we as audience have, uh, have heard this rumor for the first time at that moment because there is a relevance you know what you know what, what do we sh what does this t scene tell us we know that Cersei is pretty much hit rock bottom now the mountain who was an ace in the trial by combat is no longer useful in that way not to say that he's not a useful asset but you know she's not going to get out of jail that way or death, perhaps. We don't know how far it's going to go. Um, and also, the relevance of the trial by combat, you know? We talk about this idea of Clegane Bowl. Well, perhaps this doesn't necessarily spell the end of it, because to bring up the idea, then, that the Hound has returned when he is, again, only returned last episode, would perhaps make sense. But, I mean, I'll throw it over to you, Dominic. Number one, what do you think the rumour is, or, you know, who is it about, or what is it about? Um, but also, do you think the rumor is about something we have yet to see or something that we have seen as an audience member? We know what's happened, but the Cersei as a character has only just discovered three words, three words, burn them all. It, it's, it's totally the wildfire. Uh, we, we know that Cersei has, has, a. It had, it had an interest in wildfire before, you know, that was ultimately how Tyrion found out about it and used it in the Battle of the Blackwater. 
Uh, I think it's it's very telling that what we saw in Bran's vision was the Mad King Ares uh, saying "Burn them all" and uh, and the um, and the wildfire and Jamie Lannister killing him. Uh, I think what what we're what we're going down, and I know other people have suggested this as well, but at the trial, Cersei will use wildfire against. Uh, against the high sparrow and the and the sparrows she will utter the phrase burn them all and then to to save the civilians in a moment of humility and cementing him on the side of the angels Jamie Lannister will have to kill his sister that is dark it's dark but dark. but you know I, I think they they showed us a lot of things in that vision that Bran had and they showed them showed all of showed us all of them for a reason. I don't think they showed us anything just for the sake of showing us showing us something. I think we're we're too far along in the story for um just fun jaunts into the history of Westeros. I think we're at this point now where anything they show us has significance and I think the fact that we saw the Mad King and you know he, we saw him saying those famous words, "Burn them all." We saw Jamie stab him in the back, and we saw the wildfire. And combine that with the fact that Cersei has this interest in wildfire, and she now needs another secret weapon. Now that uh, the trial by combat has been um, outlawed, and it won't happen, I think she's going to use the uh, the wildfire to attack. And she, like I said, she'll utter the words, "Burn them all," and Jamie will kill her. Mm. Well, that's interesting, and that opens up a couple of other questions now that I'm going to have to ask you. Um, yeah, another point that I think helps support your theory is a line that's often uttered by Cersei: "I will burn this city to the ground before I let someone take my child." Or she said words to that effect. But the main phrase is, "I will burn this city to the ground." Yeah, in a way to help protect her child. Now, Tommen is pretty much gone from her at this point, and he has pretty much disowned her uh, <laughs> in a way yeah. because he has now allied himself with the gods and the High Sparrow when in the beginning of the season, you know, he... He was still kind of on the fence. Yeah, well, he was, but he also uh, spoke with Cersei um, on his own and said, no, I... I I, I, I want you to mentor me. I want you to be my mother and I, you know, I want you to, to be there for me and care for me. And, you know, there was kind of that relationship kind of seemed to blossom and now it's broken apart. But anyway, another couple of questions then. First one, if that happens, casualties, who else is going to suffer then as a consequence? Not just Cersei, Tom. but... Tom M, you yeah. think he will die? High Sparrow. Yeah. Any of the Tyrells? Uh, the, the father, maybe. Soloris? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Marjorie? Uh, 50-50. Because then there's two other things that I want to ask you. What is the significance of these two particular tech characters now. Number one, the mountain. He will probably live, will he not? Or will he not? Mm. 
That's a good point. Because because surely that's a bit of a crappy. Sorry, I have to say this, but this would be a really crappy way for the mountain to go out. He's done nothing really this season for what he is. I'd want to see him do something. So at least if he gets out the city, it could spark the the game bowl theories. Mm-hmm. Just could, in a different but way to what we expected. Yeah, but he he's he's just he's so far gone at this point. He's just a zombie. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if he could do anything without that command from Cersei or, or somebody. Mm, that's true. And another point then, what is the significance of Olena leaving the capital at this point? Mm. Yeah. Because surely vengeance would be on the card if what you say rings true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe. Maybe. I I, I don't know. I I I... I... I hadn't really thought about that, to be perfectly honest. So I, I don't know uh, what ramifications that could have. I just uh... the only thing that I, I guess that no, no stories have to be, you know, you don't have to find answers to every single story. But the big one that still remains a secret is the conspiracy surrounding Joffrey's murder. Mm-hmm. And I sort of like there to be a bit of consequences for that, or I'd like there to be a bit of a revelation. Um, mm-hmm. or, well, you know, in part about his death, but also the, the legitimacy of the Tommen and Lannister, di- uh, the, the, the Baratheon dynasty. Mm-hmm. More, more that latter one than the Joffrey murder. <laughs> that's probably just put in the past. But, you know, you know what I mean, though? The Baratheon dynasty, the fact that Gendry's out there and this whole, the, the <laughs> fact that really it's, a, it's, just, it's not a true Baratheon who's ruling the country. Yeah. Um, is... If he gets burned, then that we don't really find out that answer. But I guess it still creates the kind of civil disorder that everyone kind of is waiting to to engulf King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point because that is something that's kind of been. I don't know. I feel like though that was something that was a, a big deal in season one. The uh, the whole legitimacy of the of of the quote unquote Baratheon children. Um, but it's, it was never publicly discovered. It was between a couple yeah, of people. And it was never, I, I really feel like it hasn't played a huge role into things since then. I feel like that was maybe that just served as the catalyst for all of this to start to happen. Um, but other than that, it, it really hasn't been, uh, it, it isn't, uh, it, it isn't necessarily something, something huge that needs to be revisited anytime soon. I guess if there's no actual rival per se in terms of like a monarch to Tommen's rule, then it perhaps it does become a bit irrelevant to what's going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, who who's gonna who's out there who out there is actually challenging him. Mm-hmm. I mean you know, well I think... at least not not as overtly as the War of the Five Kings is what I mean to say. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like that that whole issue really died with the the War of the Five Kings, and, and the only way it, it could really come back is if somehow Tommen is still on the throne when Danny arrives. Yeah, but we shall see. But I do like your theory about the wildfire, and I think a lot of people uh, have been saying all. that. Yeah, and it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, but uh, I, again, I mean, so you're expecting that in the season finale. In the season finale, yeah, not next week, but in the in the season finale, and and. Yeah, I think that there, like I said, there's a, there was a significant t- significance to those visions that Bran had. They weren't just, they weren't just 
uh, for cool factor. I think there was something, there's something more there and yeah, burn them all, burn them all. I, I do want to just say quickly about, um, about this, uh, this, this whole episode really, uh, was really, really well directed and really, really well shot. Um, and I, I did really, I really liked the scene in the throne room with Cersei or with Cersei and, and she, um, and when she enters and she tries to go up to Tommen and she gets stopped by Kevin and then she gets sent to watch with the other ladies and they all like run away from her and, and, and she's left there on her own. And, and you net, we know, we don't really get uh, much of, we, I don't think we ever get a close up on Tommen in this episode is he's always kind of viewed from her point of view, other than when he's leaving, when he's making the announcement though, he's always kind of viewed from her point of view, or at least that's how we first see him. And, and I, I feel like that just the, 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 the directing and the blocking in this scene uh, was was done really really well and the shot choices were, were really cool so I, I I quite enjoyed this and there's a couple of other directing choices that will uh, that we'll get to in in a later on in the episode that I think were very very effective. A uh, final point I want to say as well is my one of my favorite quotes in this this moment. I know we don't usually do favorite quotes, but I'm going to bring one up now. Is in that throne room when Cersei walks up to Kevin and he says, "Where are you going?" and then she replies with. Oh, I'm going to obviously stand by my son, the, the king. Um, you know, well, I was told there was a royal announcement. And why, why was I not told in advance? And he says, there is to be a royal announcement in the throne room at this very moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of that line, you know, when you go and say, like, uh, someone says, oh, why didn't you tell me that before? And you said, well, I'm telling you now. It's basically yeah. that. But yeah. he just he just said it in that really sarcastic manner, and I just loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was a great scene. It was a great scene. Uh, but uh, yeah, we mentioned you know when Danny arrives. Speaking of when Danny arrives, let's talk about what goes down in Marine this week. <laughs> uh, in Marine, uh, we see the uh, the Red Priestesses uh, talking about how great Daenerys Targaryen is. Uh, but we also learned that. Varus is headed back to Westeros to uh, lay some groundwork for their arrival. So uh, what do you think? Is he actually going to head back to Westeros or is he going to maybe make a stop um, in Volantis and and, uh, run into a couple of Ironborn who have those ships, those iron horses (laughs) that uh, that the Dothraki and, and Danny need to cross the Narrow Sea? Yeah, I mean, there's no coincidence that he is left at at this moment when the masters are going to return. In the sense that you know, the timing of of, of perhaps the the uh, victorious entrance of the um, of the Ironborn, or rather, their entrance will lead to victory is is probably a better way of putting it. So I I, I can see that happening. You know, Varys has been at Volantis before. It seems to be a kind of stop on the way to Westeros. Um, so I, I think that Varys will be returning sooner rather than later. But I thought initially I thought it was intriguing that he went on this secret mission. Yeah. And what and a question that I want to put to you, Dominic, is what what is the importance of the timing in the sense that when Varys leaves, then Daenerys returns. At the end of season five, uh-huh. Daenerys left. Varys arrived. Yeah, what's what's the significance there? I I I don't. I mean, part of me just thinks, oh, it's probably just me being reading too much into things. But 
you know game of thrones and and their writers and you know and 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 producers very rarely do they just put things in for the sake of it so what's your view on this well it's it's interesting right because varus very clearly supports a targaryen um the return of the targaryens we know that going back to season one when him and um magister illyrio were were had their original plot and then in, in season five, he's the one who convinces Tyrion to go find Danny, and and you know he's talking about you know who said anything about him and and all that and all that stuff. Um, by that same token, when Tyrion mentions Varys to Danny, she doesn't have have the most positive reaction. So maybe, um, maybe she wants to, or maybe he wants to uh, lay some some better. Uh, so you know he wants to be in a situation where he can present her with something uh that she wants very easily when uh when they finally meet face to face but that is interesting i hadn't thought about that i hadn't i hadn't seen that raised anywhere else even either that uh, you know virus arrived right after she left and now he's leaving right before she arrives that's very interesting could be coincidence but as you as you say um things rarely are Things really are. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, as I said, this isn't me to suggest. This isn't me suggesting that Varys is linked to the attacks on Marine, but I'm just curious to know why he wants to remain in the shadows. But anyway, carry on, Dominic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I I wouldn't be surprised though if if he does just uh just go back to to King's Landing, uh, perhaps to see how things are there, and and if he can maybe sow a little bit more chaos there in his um. In a way, in ways that only he can, that will make a conqueror or liberator or how, however Danny is going to arrive. Well, uh, Varys will soon more. realize that he has lost his little birds in many parts of Westeros. Well, that could to be Kyburn. That would be an interesting showdown: Kyburn versus Varys. Mm. The battle could for be the, the new could be a new battle instead of Varys and Littlefinger. It's it's Varys and Kyburn. Yeah, well, Varys Varys always winds up with a great talking with great talking scenes with with these characters the, these other mysterious characters of course he had the, the great one with Littlefinger back in season one i believe and then in season four with oberon so maybe maybe we're due for another uh another varus uh talking to someone in front of the iron throne scene and uh why not kyburn why not um and then in uh also in in, in marian uh, Tyrion still desperately trying to relate to uh, uh, Miss Sandai and Grey Worm, and we have some have him try and get them to tell jokes. And you mentioned your, one of your favorite quotes. Well, one of my favorite quotes from this episode is when Miss Sandai is telling her joke about the um, about the translators. First is uh, Tyrion's laugh at the joke, <laughs> where uh, which was just a brilliant performance. Uh, by Peter Dinklage, and then Grey Grey Worm responds with, "That is the worst joke I ever heard," <laughs> which is which is uh, just such a brilliant uh, brilliant performance from from that guy. And and uh, I just have that quote on standby standby now for whenever I make a terrible joke, uh, or 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 if Kieran ever makes a terrible joke, just to, just be ready for. That is the worst joke I ever heard. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so they're they're trying to uh, he's trying to relate to them. He finally gets the two of them to to chuckle and laugh, and then the masters attack. 
Uh, we do get a really cool CGI shot of the um, of the master's ships uh, throwing fire at the city, and just when Grey Worm has taken control back from Tyrion, who should arrive? Uh, but Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, we didn't actually see her on Dragonback, but we assume that's how she got there, how she got up to the top of the pyramid. <laughs> I'm going to guess she didn't just scale the outsides. Uh, and she uh, she doesn't say anything. I, I feel like this was um, the easiest day on set Amelia Clark ever had. She just had to walk through a doorway and just look intensely at, at these other actors. Um, wh- what did you make of this? The fact that Tyrion's way failed you know we we talked a couple of weeks ago about you know Tyrion. he put he put together he negotiated this uh piece almost almost with the uh with the with the masters uh and how that doesn't really commute with or uh compute that doesn't it's, it's kind of it's not really the same road that uh that danny's going on where she seems to be more in a just take what is mine kind of uh, kind of way and Tyrion's way failed and now she's here with a horde of Dothraki and her dragon and, and Drogon and you know then there's the other two dragons uh, that are still in the city uh, could we see our first real glimpse of, of of Daenerys as perhaps more of a or a much more ruthless version of her than we're used to from uh, from season five in particular. I mean, she did burn a guy alive last season. Let's not forget that. She did use the dragons on somebody. Uh, but could, could, do you expect to see a more ruthless Danny, or could she still surprise us? I wouldn't be completely shocked if we do. You know, if, if, if you look at the last scene we saw of Daenerys before this episode, um... She was, you know, re. She was retelling, in a way, in her own version, the speech that Drogon gave to her in season one about conquering Westeros. Um, and you know, Dario Naharis was talking about this idea of. It's now in her mind, and I think to be a conqueror, one of your natural. Um, innate characteristics has to be ruthlessness, mercy, merciless. You know, those are some of the qualities that are associated with these types of characters. So it wouldn't shock me if she does, but in what manner and how um, and to who? I don't necessarily think she'll be ruthless mannered as such to Tyrion per se, even though you could argue that it's his actions that caused a lot of this mess, but she may well be to the masters. I don't think they will be getting any more chances. But a question to now raise to you, Dominic, is you know, where is this story going to go at the end of the season? You know, because we know that next episode, we'll come on to the preview later, but mm-hmm. Marine will not be featured next episode. I can pretty much guarantee that what is that's the thing i'm still confused on where is this storyline going why are we still in marine when nothing very little has really happened you could argue and to be honest the central focus seems to be more on the characters than the actual politics and the context of marine itself where do you stand with the marine storyline i think the the storyline will wrap up i think 
what what we'll see is I think I do think we are going to see the the ruthless version of Danny, and I think she's just going to basically burn them all. <laughs> I think that's going to be the that might as well be the title of the final episode. Um, where she's just going to end the slavers very, very quickly, end the masters. And once she has restored some semblance of peace, quote-unquote, uh, the season will end with her saying something to the effect of, and now it's time to go to Westeros. And whether that will involve, and, and then perhaps beginning of, of season uh, season seven could be uh, Theon and, and, and Yara arriving with ships or... I, I don't know, but I, I do think that this season has been all all been about refocusing Danny on her actual goal. After after last season, we had this sort of uh, diversion from that, where she was trying to learn how to be a leader, and I think from that, I don't think I, I think she kind of failed at that, and and has instead reverted to a much more. Uh, you know, I will take what is mine. Something that's a l- almost a little bit more like uh, what her brother was like. Obviously, not quite as cruel and 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 whiny and horrible, uh, but still much more focused on just taking what is what is what is rightfully hers. And, and uh, I, I think that's what this season has been about with her. And I think uh, the um, Marine storyline is going to come to an end rather quickly. Uh, but by design, not not quickly, like just rush rush through it, but quickly in the sense that there's no more there's no more screwing around. There's no more negotiating. It's time to burn them all. Yeah, that could be a running theme in the season finale. But I have to say that I think a good way to end this story would be for I uh, talk about ending this story at the end of the season would be for the Iron Islanders to show up in the finale because not only would it mean that the masters are no longer in the picture, you know, Marine, as you say, could be burnt to the ground and there's no need to stay there, but also it means that Danny can move on with her journey. There's no reason to stay in Marine. She's got the ships now that she's looking for and she can look at the fact that the Greyjoys helped her get rid of the masters as a way of trusting and perhaps a way of the two parties collaborating together remains to be seen, of course, but I, I, I think that would be a good way to end the season. Be, be quite reminiscent of when um, at the end of season four, Stannis arrived at the north in the north to save John and mm. and and the knights uh, and the Night's Watch from the Wildlings after the events of. Uh, the showdown at the wall, if you can remember that, yeah. of course. Oh. <laughs> so long ago. And, you, and if you can remember when Stannis arrived, that was such a big shock and a great moment. Yeah. Was- and I, I think we can have a similar type, there'd be, there'd be a similar type of impact with the arrival of Yara and Theon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that could be cool. That could be cool. Although I don't think it would be quite as dramatic as the as No, the because we kind of, we're guessing it now. We didn't guess that Stannis yeah. was going to be there. And Yara basically said as much last week. <laughs> she yeah. basically said, "Yeah, we're going. We're going to see the Dragon Queen. Going to see. Going to see the Dragon Queen. That's that's it. That sounds like it should be a song or something." Well, that's you the can worst the lyrics joke I right ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, <laughs> uh, where where to next? Where to next? Let's uh, let's go to the Riverlands and let's start with the Hound. The Hound, Sandor Clegane. Uh, we see him tracking down 
uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners, uh, the men who slaughtered Brother Ray, and uh, the peaceful villagers last week. Uh, and he, he finds two of them and uh, in a great scene where the focus is still on on the, the one Brotherhood guy who's in the foreground. But in the background, you see an out-of-focus Sandor just coming up behind him with the axe. And again, it, it, this was a pretty uh, pretty brutal, pretty gory episode. He, he takes out these, uh, these four Brotherhood guys, no problem. Uh, and uh, he goes off in search of the the uh, the third member of the brotherhood who uh, who was uh, who, who who wasn't with them but was involved in uh, in the massacre at the end of last week and he finds him but when he finds him he is about to be hung by Thoros of Mir and Beric Dondarrion and uh, when those two arrived all of the Lady Stoneheart fans uh, wept a tear of sadness because that storyline much like Clegane Bowl has basically been shut down. Uh, but we do get Barrack back. We do get uh, Thoros. And they've, they've changed a bit since we last seen them. They seem to... Uh, they, they seem more interested in what's going on up north. They may, be, they may be headed up to the Wall, to Winterfell, perhaps, uh, to help out Jon. Uh, maybe not with uh, Ramsay Bolton, but with the white walkers. Uh, what did you think of, uh, of this, uh, this storyline this week and how it continued from, uh, from last week? I was really happy with the storyline, to be honest with you. We talked about it last week and asked the questions of, uh, as to whether these, uh, brotherhood members were renegades, whether they were, uh, you know, examples of, of a new regime that had been put in place. All of these questions that were put to us and we got some answers and we know now that this was just a rogue band from the Brotherhood and that Beric Dondarrion is still alive. Forest of Mir is um, still his usual self, quite clearly. And we had that great scene, the hanging scene. Um, great black, uh, dark humour there, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, with the... Uh, how negotiating with the Brotherhood, how many members he was allowed to kill and in what ways he was going to kill them. Great scene, loved it. Um, but, and, and as for the Hound, I think it was good that he, he got to interact with the Brotherhood because even that, that was still a, a big moment, I think, in that character story arc in the same way as perhaps a big moment in Arya's story arc. You know, the fact that um, he went up against Beric Dondarrion and he won... There's significance to that now, and it doesn't seem like it's it, it's not necessarily a story which has been forced to merge together. Um, you can see, in part, where this storyline could go. Um, okay, well, where, where, do you, where do you think it's, it's going to go? Because it, now that Clegane Bowl is out the window, what is Sandor's, Sandor's larger purpose that brother brother ray and and to a certain extent Barrick and thoros uh we're talking about this week and, and last week well it, it seems to be some sort of relation to religion there seems to be some religious connotations to it you know the the idea that the, the gods have given the gain this purpose now what purpose that is i still think remains relatively ambiguous but uh boric Dendarium was talking about the lord of light um and the fact that the Lord of Light is spared uh, 
Sandor Clegane. Now, of course, we it's debatable whether the Lord of Light even exists, but let's just say for argument's sake it does, uh, or he, she does, whatever the God is, it, 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 it makes a difference because it means now Sandor Clegane is looked upon with added added importance and i think he will start to travel around with the brotherhood initially but then he may get called upon to do something more um you know do that you gateway mean- of being with the brotherhood opens to hear um sandal again either going to the north and running into aria again perhaps, perhaps we yeah. see what happens at the end of this episode um you know again the lord of light talking about that could be related to the white walkers because to me i think that's the big threat they're talking about I don't. I don't think. I know some people have mentioned the, the sparrows and you know the fact that yeah, two religions against there. each other. I don't buy that for a nah. second, and I think that's just a way of them uh, fans trying to shoehorn in this battle between the hound and the mountain. When it's really that, if they're going to do it, that's not the way they're going to do it. Um, I because I, I, if, if that if, if they just want to satisfy and appease fans with that type of storyline, I will be very disappointed. I want to see the hound actually doing something that has greater ramifications than that and fighting off some white walkers would be a damn good start. But anyway, what about you, Dominic? Well, What's your thoughts on the Clegane storyline? Well, I wanted, I wanted to ask you, do you think this storyline could just become a place for, I don't want to say forgotten characters, but characters whom we haven't seen in a while, uh, whose, whose storylines are, are maybe over or have had to be dropped do you think this is this could almost become like the the the, the storylines that just that that don't fit in anywhere else? They're all just going to kind of join up with the Brotherhood and start heading north. Because you know Gendry could come back. You know, like some of these other characters that we haven't seen in a while could just start showing up again uh, as part of the uh, as part of this. Because it is it is kind of interesting that you know it it seemed that bringing the Hound back for Clegane Bowl uh, was. The, the obvious uh, the obvious reason it, it made the most sense um, but since they're not going that route and, and you know obviously they have a plan so I, I don't think they're just uh, just making this up um, uh, but you know what is that larger purpose and that's what I, I'm really curious about I, I was very I, I did really enjoy this um, this part of the episode this whole uh, section of the episode with the hound uh, hunting the brotherhood and and Barak and Thoros and, and and all of that. I thought all of that was, was that was probably probably my favorite part of the episode. Um, where was it going with this? But uh, but I could see this as uh, perhaps being a way to start bringing back some beloved characters who we haven't seen in a while, just to to, to get them back in the show to get them involved in this final fight. And, and and perhaps that could be a way to do so by just having the Brotherhood Without Banners start heading north and start picking people up along the way. Uh, because, you know, these are characters. These are all characters we haven't seen in a while. You know, Thoros, Thoros and Barracks, not since Season 3. The Hound, not since Season 4. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting in that way. But yeah, overall, this was probably the best. Next to the next to the trailer for next week, this was probably the best part of, uh, of this week. I, I really, really in, enjoyed this and I I do think the hound has changed a little bit. I do think he's a little bit more. He was never he was never not thoughtful, but I do feel like he's a little bit more thoughtful now. Yeah, I could see that. I think that was the impression they were trying to get across. You know, Forrest of me with that sly comment. 
you're getting old, Clegane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the lines that we used in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. I'm too old for this. Beep. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I think there is a change to the hand. And we saw that last episode. And I think that, in a way, was the purpose of last episode. In part, was to show that Clegane was a changed man. And yes, okay, the, the massacre of the village is what has pre- precipitated the return of this more vengeful and angry Clegane. But there's still a side of Clegane who perhaps because of the near-death experience, has now become a bit more reserved as a character. You know, he wants to find a purpose as well as much as anyone. You know, now that village is gone, what is he? what is left? I think that's why he kind of wants to hang with the Brotherhood. I think he will do, at least, initially. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I, you know, I, I know what you mean with the kind of forgotten character's storyline. If, you know, if you just hang out with the Brotherhood, then you're kind of not got much purpose going on. And I think that suits Clegane's character down to the ground, but I don't think that'll be his end story arc. I'd be disappointed if it was, because then what's the point of bringing Clegane back? You know, if he's going to just be a forgotten character, you might as well have just killed him off at the end of season four. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And I I do think, I do think they have a, have a sense of where, where he's going to end up. Um, Let's, okay. Let's get into, Oh, is this your big snark of the episode? Well, you know what? Actually, there's River there's Run. there's a little bit. River Run is sort of fifty fifty. Um, all of the stuff before Brienne enters the castle, I really really like. It's once she enters the castle that we hit a snag. So let's start with before she enters the castle, and we get uh, we get a couple of reunions. We get. Um, Podrick and Braun, which was, uh, which was just fun. It was just fun to have those two characters back together again. It would have been nice if, if Tyrion could have been there as well, but uh, for obvious reasons he couldn't. Um, and then, uh, and then of course Jamie and Brienne, and uh, a, a very interesting reunion between the two. Uh, what what did you make of their reunion? Uh, do you mean the Jamie and Brienne one in particular? Jamie and Brienne. I mean, if you if you have um, deep, intricate <laughs> thoughts about Braun and and uh, and Pod, then go for it. But uh, mostly Jamie and Brienne. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that the Braun's talk about whether Jamie and and Brienne were having sex would certainly well, be if, high if, on the. If um, if Jamie does kill Cersei, then you never know. Hey. You never know. Foreshadow, <laughs> isn't it really? Okay, on a serious note, let's let's talk about the Brienne and Jamie stuff. I, I agree with you. I really love this scene. One of my favourites. I've watched it a couple of times now because, you know, the more I watch it, the more I feel like I, I understand it. And the more I just find it compelling. You know, it, it, it does seem like a reunion of, of two characters who do really like each other, but they keep finding themselves on the opposite sides of the fence, don't they? And that's the difficulty that... You know, it's, it's almost it's almost like a forbidden love scenario, isn't it? When uh, two characters who who do who are really fond of each other shouldn't really be, and they're not really allowed to be either because of who they are um, and where and where they kind of sit on the fence. You know, you got Jamie Lannister, whose loyalty is is as he made very clear in this episode is with predominantly his sister uh, for not just the fact that he loves her as a sister, but for more. And then you've obviously got Brienne, who's on a bound to the Starks. Now, the Starks and Lannisters have both been enemies for however long, you know, generations-wise, at least. Um, and now, here they are, 
together. And I really loved this scene. There were kind of two things that really stood out to me. You know, the the we'll get onto the sword in a second, but obviously the politics stuff. Uh, I thought that was quite an amusing moment when you kind of had Brienne and Jamie talking to each other um, about you know what what has led them to this position and then as soon as jamie was like uh, you know yeah, you served a traitor and you and you know who 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 taken over the river islands or whatever and said yeah well our, these were owned by the tullys before and then your allies the phrase murdered rob stark in in a in a wedding scene and then jamie was like yeah, okay, let's not talk about politics anymore. <laughs> Got a bit deep there, so to speak. But moving aside from that, the big thing for me was the sword. And I want to get your impressions on it. I'm going to say it, mine very, very briefly. But I think it was great because it was symbolic. The fact that Brienne, as the Oath Keeper, that's what, that's what the name of the sword is. I think it shows the, the fact she wants to give it back to Jamie. She is still keeping to her oath because she feels like her oath has been fulfilled. But now Jamie has given her or bestowed this gift really on Brienne for forever. Um, you know, for you, Dominic, what does that what does that scene tell you about Jamie Lannister as a character? What you know, we talk about the trajectory of his story arc, but you know, in particular his relationship with Brienne right in this episode. What 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 did you learn from that conversation? Yeah, I, I feel like whenever we have Jamie and Brienne together, we wind up learning more about Jamie and he always comes off as a lot more complex than he does otherwise. Uh, you know, he has the scene with, uh, with Edmure coming up and I, I, I thought that was a, as also a very good scene, but uh, the, the two scenes, uh, again, they don't really jive together, uh, because we get this very layered version of Jamie in the scene with Brienne, but in the scene with Edmure, it's a lot more of the the guy who pushed uh, Bran out the window in the pilot. Where, whereas with 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 Brienne, it's it's more uh, the complicated, um, haunted in a way uh, uh, version or, or or guy who who's had to live with the fact that everybody calls him Kingslayer when really he did the right thing. Nobody, you can't blame him for for what he did. We know he did the right thing. Um, but because it wasn't honorable or it didn't fit Ned Stark's version of honor, he's kind of been branded as this, uh, as this traitor. And uh, as a result, uh, he's, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he he feels he, he's always treated differently than he should be for what he's done. And, and, And so when we get the scene where he's just, outlining everything that why why he loves Cersei and 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 that's all that's all he ever all he ever wants the scene with the scenes with Brienne are are kind of interesting because they do kind of represent this maybe this alternate path for him where he isn't just you know the kingslayer the the head of the Lannister army uh you know he could be something else he could do something else and so in a way I I do think maybe the stuff with him declaring his his love for Cersei to to Edmure in, in such a, a aggressive way perhaps is meant to just remind us of their deep bond their deep connection when he does kill her because <laughs> uh, I'm going with that theory I'm running with that theory um, 
And, but can then, you also say that Brienne, in that sense of, because uh, I sort yeah. of agree with what you're talking about there, with the perhaps alter Jamie Lannister. Do you think she reflects that? You know, Jamie looks at Brienne as someone uh, to what he he could be. You know, mm-hmm. that could have been his alternate path. He could have been a Brienne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's possible. And and you know, maybe maybe at the end of this, maybe at the end of this. Um, I don't think I don't think he'll wind up with Brienne or something like that. But maybe he, once he's been through all of this and whatever happens happens to to end this story, if he is still alive at the end of this, maybe he goes and takes the black. You know, maybe he goes and he tries to find something honorable to do with, uh, with the rest of his time to to try and live up to, uh, this this version of himself that he sees in Brienne. Yeah, that'd be a good way to get him up the north, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> get him to fight the White Walkers. Yeah, I bet once he gets up there, he'll be like, oh, for God's sake, if only I didn't give that bloody sword to Brienne. I need that now. Yeah, exactly. When they're going exactly. up there yeah, saying, you haven't got any Valyrian steel, have you, Jamie? <laughs> oh, for Christ's oh, sake. God's sake, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, if you go back to the, the pilot, there was a scene between Jamie and John where Jamie was kind of mocking the Night's Watch, and he was kind of being that... He was very much in that, you know, Kingslayer persona. And, mm. and you know, perhaps in, in a, a little bit of, um, you know, coming full circle, he, he wouldn't, uh, you know, he wouldn't, uh, he, he would take the black. He would become a Night's Watch and he would finally understand the honor in that. Maybe. That's, that's, just, that's just one possibility that really just thought of just right now. <laughs> it's a good thought to have, though. Yeah. Uh, but then let's talk about what goes down inside the castle. So uh, Jamie lets Brienne cross to go in uh, as uh, under the flag of a truce. She tries to convince the Blackfish to abandon the castle to Jamie to head north to fight with Sansa. And the Blackfish says no. They have a little back and forth. He reads Sansa's letter. He's moved, but he still says no. And ultimately... This winds up costing him because uh, Jamie releases Edmure. Um, by the way, just going back to Jamie's scene with Edmure, uh, really great uh, uh, of the show to bring back the uh, the things we do for love line. I thought that was very cool, very chilling. Um. A- anyways, uh, he um. I just my mind just went blank. Uh, right. So Ed Edmure he Edmure is released. He goes to the castle. Because he technically is the Lord of Riverrun, all of the men have to obey him, and he surrenders the castle. The Blackfish uh, helps Brienne and Pod escape, uh, but refuses to go with them, and instead dies unceremoniously off-screen. And then Jamie sees Brienne and Pod getting away. They wave, and story over. Was, was that worth it? Was that ending of... Not really changing Jamie Lannister in any significant way. Not gaining more troops or even another ta- tactical mind for this upcoming battle for Winterfell. Was this worth the time that was committed here over the last few weeks, committed to the River Run storyline? Hmm. I mean, it's an interesting one. I, I still sort of debate it in my mind. I did, the thing is, I did enjoy the storyline. It was different. It, it, it was something that maybe 
you know, in every season, you need a, a sort of new storyline, really, to get excited about. I mean, okay, we, we, we sort of had Dawn in season five, which kind of fell flat <laughs> on its head. And I imagine you'll probably see parallels closer to that. Um, yeah, but the, see, the, but, difference, the difference is um, everything about Dorne was was broken from the start. Um, this this showed a lot of promise. The, yeah, the, in, particularly in the previews as well, which, again, we talk about the trailers and the previews, and sometimes they can lead to overhype, you know, for a particular episode because the marketing team are so good at selling the episode. Um, I think that's sometimes part of the problem. But... In terms of the River Run story, I do sort of agree. I don't like the way in which they dealt with the Blackfish death. However, you know, uh, we're going to go on the off-screen uh, wars again here, but <laughs> we didn't see him die, so we don't necessarily know if he died. It's not, it's not, in my mind, certain until we see a body. That's just, that's just a way if you want to get around that that loophole. Um, but obviously, I don't know how he would still survive. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, he's kind of in the same situation as Stannis, right? Like technically, we didn't yeah, see yeah. it, but but I, you know, he could have had a death like so. I'd like to see his death like Sebastian Selmy when he went. That was a great way to go out. Yeah. I would have loved to see that with a blackfish. Anyway, uh-huh. he didn't. Well, um, see, I, I where I draw more parallels here is with uh, Mance Raider, like. There, there was that great scene at the beginning of season five between John and Mance, where John is basically uh, trying to get Mance to bend the knee before Stannis, so that the wildlings will be allowed to live beyond the wall, or not beyond the wall, on the other side of the wall. They already live beyond the wall on the uh, on the southern side of the wall. Uh, and Mance won't do it, and, and and John says to him, you know, don't let your pride cost you the lives of of all these of all, of all your people and and Mance has the great line of fuck my pride um you kind of you kind of but he still he still doesn't bend the knee i kind of got the same vibe from the blackfish like mm. he he could do the right thing um and go ahead you know he could do the right thing and wind up uh Heading north, at the very least, he's a, a, a another tactical mind. Which uh, you know, I mean, you already got John and Davos, which is good. But you know, why not have the Blackfish up there? He could have helped out in this upcoming battle. He could have helped his la- his um, you know, his his living kin. Uh, but he instead just chooses to have a sword fight. As he said, I haven't had a proper sword fight in years, and he doesn't want to run because he missed the fight at the Red Wedding. He it was really kind of a you know, he wasn't really the the different. He, he was kind of dying for no reason, um, sort of like Mance. The the main difference, of course, being uh, Mance was dying for his beliefs, whereas the Blackfish was dying for his house. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to the Blackfish, throughout this whole episode, you could understand his motivations, and even though it was frustrating, it was his home. And he wanted to defend it. And, and, and I think anyone can empathize with that particular motivation. He would have, you know, I, I think he would have helped Sansa Stark out if he could. But he, he really believed in Brienne at that moment. And, I, you know, you could talk about this issue of pride and perhaps there was a bit of pride. But I think it also does in a way, even though they didn't really focus on the the, the, the character's response to the Red Wedding, but... You know, he says, I'm not running away again, like you mentioned, yeah, as it, as I did in a Red Wedding. 
I think it shows that the Red Wedding has had a massive impact on his character nonetheless, and he does have a bit a tinge of regret for seemingly abandoning them. And I think that holding River Run was a symbolic gesture of that, you know, kind of rebelling against what happened and stay and saying, look, the war isn't over. Well, now it is. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was a nice sort of twist, though, that Edmir Tully was permitted on, in, um, to come in. Although, having said that, as soon as Edmir Tully walked into River Run, did you have any hesitation to think that he wasn't going to hand over the castle? Yeah, yeah, no, he was, uh, he was, uh, <laughs> he was most definitely, um, he was done for the second he walked in. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I want to ask you, though, Dominic, in relation to Reverend, before we uh, close that Mm. particular discussion, do you think the story is over? Because I don't. Mm. That's just my book. That's my view. What's what's left? What do you think is left? Well, I mean, this this isn't a spoiler because we've seen a trailer, but there is a clip in a season preview of... And now I know why, and I think it was a bit of a spoiler that they put in this trailer when you put it in context. But uh, we we go back to the twins, I believe, um, and and there's a scene of uh, Walder Frey standing up with a cup, clearly celebrating victory with Lannisters in the uh, the same room that the Red Wedding took place in. So why have this epilogue? What is the point of it unless something's going to happen? Preferably to Walter Frey, but yeah. who knows? Um, that might that's be my that might view. be a bit I, too I, much. I, I think that Walter Frey is going to get his comeuppance at the end of this season. Mm, I don't know. I that might be so. that might be a bit too much. Uh, come up, uh, a bit too much fan service for fan service this season. Uh, we've already gotten so much, uh, so much this season. I don't know. But then why bother going back to the twins to have a scene of him going, "Yay, we've won"? Well. I don't know. Well, well, maybe Jamie will be there. Maybe. Well, if Jamie's there, we wouldn't be in King's Landing. No, that's true. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> to set up now, isn't it? To, to set up next season. <laughs> it, it could be uh could be anything. Uh, it could be anything. So I, mm. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. At the very least, we now know that Edmund Tully is free from the clutches of Walder Frey, which is what everybody's wanted to know. Well, is he, is he though? Is he? Because, you know, he took the castle back for the Lannisters. Are they really just going to let him go free? And and really, he didn't even take the castle back for the Lannisters. He took the castle back for the Freys. Mm, yeah, that is true. It's he's, funny, isn't it? He was like, um, take the uh, take Blackfish and, and send them to the Freys in chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what? What? Yeah, it's a good point. What is going to happen to Edmund? Yeah, now? that's a good question. These are these are the. Could this all a bit for nothing? Quite possibly. Probably, well, it is really, yeah, isn't it? Possibly. Because he just surrendered the castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Anyway, so River Run, um, fizzling out, fizzled, fizzled out. Maybe, like I, like you said, we, we should we should wait until uh, the season finale. You never know. You never know. Um, although, didn't we get a scene with Walder Frey in season season three, the the episode after the Red Wedding, where he was just kind of like laughing about it? Yeah, but that was with Roose Bolton, and I thought it was more about Roose Bolton. You know, it kind of, you know, in that scene, it informed you that the Blackfish was still alive, uh-huh. and it, review, it was the Ramsey reveal, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So right. it wasn't all wasted. That's true. Um, 
But I know what you mean. We did sort of have that. But, oh. you know, why have another one? Like, there's no... We know that the, the phrase of Victoria is, so you don't really need to go back. Yeah. Unless, unless there's a purpose to it. Unless Walter Frey is hanging out there and he's celebrating. And who should burst through the door? But Lady Stoneheart to get him finally, and and all of the all the Lady Stoneheart fans that that wept this week will jump up in shock and awe. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Um, and all right, let's, too much fan service. Yeah, too much. Fan, too much fan service. Yeah, that that really would be fan service. <laughs> that would be massive, massive fan service. Uh, but let's let's wrap it up with Bravos uh, Aria. Uh, after last week being stabbed, um, there were a lot of theories last week about uh, was it Arya? Was she actually stabbed? Um, all sorts of crazy theories, and it turned out nope, that was Arya, and she was really stabbed. This is where <laughs> this is where the fan theories maybe got a bit out of control, um, and and we wound up, uh, you know, there were some wacky, some really really out there ones, like the waif was Arya from the future, and just kind of going going crazy although you know speaking of time travel there was uh i saw a lot of people comparing the chase scenes with the waif and aria to to stuff from the terminator movies so there is that uh but aria uh stabbed after last week goes to lady crane for help lady crane who has um updated the script a little bit to the play uh and is now getting uh is now bringing audience members to tears um uh, helps her out. She just so happens isn't isn't that isn't that just wonderful? She just so happens to know how to uh, <laughs> how to treat stab wounds, um, and and just ha- so happens to have some milk of the poppy on hand. Um, uh, but then the waif shows up, kills Lady Crane. We get this great chase sequence with Arya and the waif through Bravos. Uh, again, another another really great shot. And it, it it's kind of the same as what we got with uh, Sandor earlier. Where Arya is walking, is walking, and, and she's in focus. And in the background, you just see the waif, not not in focus, but you can tell who it is. You just see her running into the scene, and, and she leaps and attacks. It's it's really really cool. I, I really I, I thought, like I said, this episode was very well, very well shot. Um, for whatever issues it has, it was very very well shot. Uh, Arya eventually leads the waif back to her little hiding spot where she draws needle, kills the lights. And kills the waif before, and then returns the waif's face to the Hall of Faces. Has one final goodbye with Shaken, and heads back for Winterfell, or heads back, or as she puts it, she goes home. Uh, what did you think of the Arya of the Arya storyline this this uh, this week? I thought it was good, and it's nice to see a resolution to her story. It seems, at least on the surface, of, of, of Arya. At Bravos. I think that we've seen a lot of her at the, the House of Black and White, and I, I, I was worried that the story was going to a bit of a dead end, and I didn't really know how they were going to deal with Arya's character, particularly after the stab scene. But... I'd I, I to say I predicted that she might well be going to see the actress, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> just to serve my ego there, Dominic. Yeah, yeah, that um, is true. That is true. You did, you did call it. You did call it. I did. I did. Uh, 
what can I say? What can I say? <laughs> I, I must have read the spoilers. Um, no, I didn't really. I gotta, um, in terms of Arya, really, I, I just think that now she's going to go home to Winterfell. She finally has a purpose. And, you know, the reaction of Jacken at that moment was not one of displeasure, of anger, of disappointment. It was one of proud, you know. He was proud of what Arya had done. There was almost a kind of uh, arrogance almost to his smile there where he, he, he seemed like, yes, you have gone on the right path. Uh, you know, in that moment, I, it was one of the first times I thought, you know what, he might well be Arya's trainer from season one. Really? You know? I mean, I'm not saying that he is, but what I mean is it could have been that face. Now, I don't know exactly, but I I just feel like he seemed uh, quite su- surprisingly pleased and sort of rooted for this particular outcome, you know, of Arya beating the wave and then going back to Winterfell rather than taking up the, the, the kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, kind of becoming a faceless man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. Sir, I, I found the way this storyline wrapped up to be very, 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 very odd. Um, right, explain. It, it, um, I don't know. It's just, you know, he, she shows up at the House of Black and White having killed the waif. And it, how does that make her no one? What, what about that scene? causes her to graduate from the house of black and white. And did she really, how much did she actually learn there? Uh, I guess she learned how to fight, but she learned how she also learned how to fight from Syrio and from the hound. Um, I guess she learned how to, you know, fit in with her surroundings better, but she did a pretty good job of that when she was Tywin fricking Lannister's, uh, servant in uh back in season uh season two i believe season two or three um the storyline it it was um it was odd i I, i'm glad it's over and i I don't think it was pointless i think we'll we'll see uh we'll see some of the effects of it down the line and and you know as again as much as i would have liked to have seen the fight between Arya and the waif um unfortunately it had to happen off screen but Unlike the Blackfish, at least that was sort of a culmination of everything that they had been building up this season, where Arya had been blind and she had been learning to fight fight blind. And so then all of a sudden, the, when she, the way for her to get the upper hand over the waif is to kill the lights, and then she knows how to fight that way. So I, I thought that, you know, as much as I would have liked to have seen a really cool fight between uh, Maisie Williams and, and uh, Faye, Faye Marseille, um, ultimately, you know, the way they did it was fine, um, and made sense, but ultimately I, I don't know. I, I look at the storyline and I wonder how much she actually got out of this. I guess she enhanced some of her skills, but a lot of those skills I felt, I felt like she was, um, pretty effective at before she got there. And I'm not quite sure what the whole, you know, you're finally no one thing from from Jacques was at the end of this episode. It, it kind of felt like maybe it was his like last ditch attempt to um, get her to stay. 
um, I don't know. I, I just found all of that kind of weird. Yeah, I know. I can see that. It, it does seem a bit of a, a baffling twist, but I enjoyed it personally because, you know, I, I never felt that Jacken really wanted Arya to die. If I'm being honest, there seemed to be a lot of reservation and I know he was the one who gave the order, but it seemed almost out of just the kind of philosophy more than his actual want of it. Mm. He, he really just wanted a face in the hole. And uh, I know it seems opportunistic that he can then say that at that point and try and make Arya not want to kill him. But I, I, uh, you know, it, it just makes me wonder about Jacken. I mean, who is he really? He is no one. He claims to be no one, but I think he's someone. Mm. So, you know, you wonder whether he's been having, you know, wearing, you know, <laughs> here we go, a metaphor, but maybe wonder whether he's been wearing a mask this whole time, but also literal, I guess, isn't it? Because he probably is wearing a mask. He's wearing a face mask. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going on a massive tangent there. I can tell it's very early in the morning here, yeah. but um, yeah, I think that. The storyline has got some legs, but the, the big thing, though, I think we need to talk about as well is Arya proclaims she's going home. Mm-hmm. Talking again, a bit, again a bit about season finale predictions, and I know this is not even a penultimate episode of the season, but because of what we know is coming up next episode, I think it's important to talk about these storylines. Is Arya going to make it home by the end of, the, of this season? Um. I could almost see it th- this season ending in a way that mirrors the end of season four, where, you know, season four ended with her getting on the ship and heading to Bravos. Maybe se- this season, season six, will end with her getting on the ship and heading to Westeros. Mm. I hope that's not the end of the season. Does she, like, but, I, I, like, I, I could see that being a scene there, but not the last scene. I, I mean, I could almost see this being the end point for her story this season, period. Hmm. That's true. I I mean, I guess what, what else, else is, is there to yeah, do? Yeah, what season? else is her? Yeah, exactly. What else is there for her to do this season besides, you know, some sort of uh, some kind of perfunctory scene of her going home? Hmm. I you know I almost feel we could pick up next season and have her either be already on her way home on a ship, or, um, you know, have that scene in in the season premiere because you know the the way the last two premieres have gone they they very much like to do a check in with every character even if it's not supremely important to check in with those characters so may, maybe she maybe she will do or she, she will have that scene of getting on the boat um in the premiere just kind of to remind everybody of where she was and and where she's going yeah and also there was a, a quiet a lot of time was spent to Arya in this episode, wasn't there? I felt at least, you yeah. know, you had the kind of, you had the beginning, which was about six minutes and then the, the end, which was about 10 minutes. So I feel like that was almost a big chunk of a story arc that was kind of completed in an episode. So yeah. maybe it is the end of a storyline kind of fitting it all into one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much that still needs to happen this season that I almost feel like perhaps that that is the end of Arya that for this year that, you know, we have, that we have to close out. We have to get some kind of closure on King's landing um, this season. I don't think we, we didn't get any, we didn't get really get any closure on King's landing last season. Uh, it was sort of left in a, in a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, but I do think we need some sort of uh, closure there or 
a big twist. Uh, it can't just sort of stop in the middle the way it did last year. Um, we need, you know, something big to happen in the north. Obviously, we're going to have the battle. Uh, I think we have to check in with Bran one more time. Uh, we need to have at least one more flashback. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I do feel like maybe maybe this is something. Oh, and we of course, we have to finish things out in Marian. And those are three huge, three or four huge stories that need to be dealt with in um, really in the next in one episode in, in the Winds of Winter, not um, not the Battle of Bastards. Um, so, yeah, I, I you know what? I think this is it for Arya for this season. I think she is. Uh, I think she's done. I think we'll we'll pick her up uh, season uh, season seven episode one. Although I will say I hope I'm wrong. I, I you know she's always been a fun character, so um, don't have to. Uh, they don't have to leave her out if they don't if they, if they can find something important for her to do. Well, we shall we shall see. Yes, right. and I think now is uh, probably as good a time as any, uh, unless you have anything else you want to bring up about the episode uh, to to. Have a look at the preview for next week. I agree. All right. So let's get into, um, as I, as I, I messaged this to Kieran when he, when we, before we started, um, what I felt was the best part of this week, the preview for episode nine of Ga- season six of Game of Thrones, the Battle of the Bastards. Battles have been won against greater odds. I fought beyond the wall against worse than Ramsay Bolt. You don't know him. If I fall, don't bring me back. Thousands of men don't need to die. Only one of us. So uh, I think this will be like the um, the finales for season two and season four, where the entire episode will be the battle for Winterfell. And I, I mean, wow, there's a, there's there's plenty plenty going on there. Uh, of course, we see the um, uh, the Bolton army lined up against John's uh, John and Sansa's uh, hodgepodge of wildlings and and a few other houses. Uh, ready to uh, going into battle. Some great action scenes. Um, I don't know what it is about the, the the these action scenes. I can't put my finger on it, but there is something about the these scenes, and I don't know if if you, if you get this as well. That just feels so much more chaotic than anything we've ever really seen before. Um, more so than than Castle Black or. Um, what was the one from season two? I, I, I just said it, and I've just, it just flew out of my mind. Uh, Black Blackwater. Black, Blackwater. Yeah. yeah, Castle Black, Blackwater, e- even Hardhome. Now Hardhome was was very chaotic, um, but but something about this just strikes me as different. Uh, but 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 crazy. I, I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing seeing that fight. Uh, we do get 
uh, Sir Davos, and this is something we talked about last week, looking at what appears to be where Shireen was burned. So it does mm. seem that we, they will be picking up on that storyline. Uh, and this is, I guess this is probably the episode to do it where you don't have to deal with any other storylines other than what's going on in the North. Uh, so that that hope that should be interesting to see. Uh, and speaking of Shireen's death and, and the the woman who burned her to death, um, Melisandre, we get this scene with between John and Melisandre where John says to her, "If I die again, don't bring me back." One of the things w- that's been talked about is the fact that you know there's supposed to be a cost to these resurrections that you're, you're, you don't come back the same person. You know, that's what Beric said. And and, and and we haven't seen that too, too much with Jon Snow. But I will say that even though he was, you know, kind of brooding and, and mopey to begin with, he seems a lot more brooding and mopey since he's been brought back. And I think part of that is just the fact that he doesn't know what his resurrection means. And so... I've gotten I've gotten the sense from him all season, with perhaps the exception of that scene where they're sitting around planning the battle, and uh, Sansa reveals that she knows that about the Blackfish. Um, that scene, he seemed to be a little bit more engaged, but all, all of this season, he seemed to be very reluctant to do anything. Yeah. It- as you say, what is it about John? Is it just his mental state and his, his broodiness, which has made him different to what he is, or you know, further broodiness, I should say? I, I think this remains to be seen yet, and we're probably going to get a good indication this episode, hopefully. Um, you know, having said that, another recurring theme which has kind of come out throughout this whole season, really, uh, since. John's resurrection and, and Sansa's reunion has been the conflict and the tension between those two characters. Uh-huh. You know, there seems to be, they seem to be on two sides of, of, of the coin, really two opposite sides of the coin. And I just wonder whether that's going to kind of blow up in someone's face there, whether that be the next episode or whether that be further down the line. Um, you know, I, I think that there's an element of, of John thinking that, hang on, I make the decisions. I'm so used to being Lord Commander. I have the experience, in particularly in military matters, let me do it my way. But then you've got Sansa, who's kind of got the, you know, she's got her ace up her sleeve, yeah, hasn't mm-hmm. she, that she hasn't revealed to John, which yeah. is Littlefinger in the veil. There's a lot of distrust there, really, isn't there? And I think that's going to kind of continue with her the the way um, Sansa was talking about Ramsay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In, absolutely. in the trailer, what what about Ramsay, Dominic? He's going to talk about Ooh, baby. You know, predictions yeah. for next week. Is he finally going to get his comeuppance? He better. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, he better. Um, I, I, but I wouldn't be surprised if if it's if maybe it's not death. Maybe it, um, you know we see John wanting to be better than him, and perhaps it, it won't be a, a death. It will be he'll rot in jail or he'll live he'll live in jail. Um, 
which would which, which would think be interesting. Going to lose. I, I do think he's going to lose. I think he has to lose. I think he's going to lose. I but I don't know if he's going to die. And if he doesn't die, and I I, I would love to see this. I would love to see a, a conversation between him and Sansa, uh, where she confronts him, sort of the same way she did to Littlefinger, uh, where she has all the power. And that, he just that would has be to exciting. Listen. Yeah. And I, he just has to just has to take it. Whatever, you know, whatever she she says. But, you know, the only hesitation I have about and I, I quite like what we're talking about with Ramsey Rotten in the cell, because that, that's kind of been a hesitation in my mind is to say that Ramsey will die. You know, Ramsey is a is a hated character. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. He is certainly, you know, Joffrey 2.0. And so much more evil. Mm-hmm. But who else is? You know, I feel like if he went, someone has to kind of take his place. Well, I mean, are we going to say Yorin is? No. Are we nah. going to say the High Sparrow is? No. Um, the Night King. <laughs> I, I think. I think we need to start um, narrowing. That he's down. not a vile villain, is he? Not in the same way as Joffrey and Ramsay. No, but I, I, I do, guess the, the Night King is one. Yeah, I, I, I think we need to start narrowing down the number of small threats, and, and by that I mean anything that isn't the White Walkers. I, I think we need. To, we're at a point now where we're we're starting to head into the end game for for this series, and I think we need to start. The focus needs to be has begun begun to shift, and I think needs to continue to shift to the real fight that's coming, and that is, as Stavos always puts it, between the living and the dead. And make no mistake, the dead are coming. Um, and I think we need to start shifting to, to to focusing on that. And to in order to do that, I think the focus needs to be taken away from some of these other villains who have served in many ways as a distraction. And have, you know, been tormenting our characters. But I think our characters need to start overcoming that so that they can face the real threat. And, and for that reason, I think Ramsey needs to go down. Um, I think the High Sparrow needs to go down. And I think the Masters and Marine need to go down so that we can start uh, having all the characters begin to converge on one spot and one storyline again. Yeah, I mean... That's a very good point. I guess we are coming to the end game soon. So you think Ramsey, in that sense, will be the last of the small villains, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the High Sparrow is still kind of one, you could argue. But, you know, it, 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 in terms of yeah. the most well, evil. The, 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 yeah. Well, the, the thing is, Ramsey is a threat that needs to be taken out before we can uh, focus all of our attention on the White Walkers. Uh you know they are the real threat. They are what is is actually coming to get our heroes, but he is something that right now is is um, serving as a distraction, kind of standing in in the way of our heroes from focusing all of their attention on the White Walkers, and so that's why he has to go down, in my opinion. Okay, so next episode. He's gonna lose, but he's not gonna die. In your yeah. opinion, that that's that's what I'm that's what I'm calling it. What do you what do you think? What do you think? I'm going in. I've got to go a different way. I'm going to say that Ramsey's going to die. He's going to die horribly. He's going to be eaten by dire wolves. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe maybe that would be a, an, an ironic way for him to go. Ghost could eat him. Yeah, but 
we have to then look at the other side and ask you the question, Dominic, as well. What about John's army? Who's going to die? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking Sir Davos. I think he's going to go. Yeah, I, I saw someone on Twitter suggest that uh, it, that it, it would be highly unlikely, or it seems highly unlikely. I, I don't think this person has access to spoilers or anything, but I saw someone say um, it, they think it would be highly unlikely for both Sir Davos and Tormund to make it out of this episode. That one or the other or both of those two have to will will go down this week or next week. Yeah, I think Tormund's got more chance of surviving because of the whole Brienne thing. <laughs> At this point, that's what's keeping him alive. No, I agree. I I, I do think one of them's got to go. Um, I think the giant's going to die as well. I think he will be a casualty. Mm, one one. One one is gonna go. He's gonna go out hard. Well, I see. I I would almost take the the opposite perspective on the Davos, uh, Tormund debate, or or you know who's gonna live, who's gonna die. I think Davos needs to live, um, in order to honor the memory of Shireen and honor the the good, the good that he saw in Stannis, and to to honor that part of the man, not the um. Not the the person he became, not the the um, person who was so focused on his goal that he would burn his daughter alive, uh, person. But the 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 man who, you know, Ned Stark viewed as potentially a, a good a good king, a, a good successor to Robert. You know, somebody who would be fair and and just and 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 all that, if not the most lovable guy. And so I I think that. You know the legacy of both uh, Stannis and Shireen Baratheon can be carried on in Sir Davos Seaworth, and I think that I think that's I think that that makes him more likely to make it out of this episode. Hmm, it's a very good point, actually. Well, we shall wait and see. And then two further points I'm going to make. One of them I'm just going to say is a statement. You can give an opinion, but I also think that Rickon Stark is going to die. No, I think that's no, going. No. I think sadly that is going to be a spark for this oh, particular man. conflict. Oh, no. I th- I wouldn't be surprised to see him flayed and burning, oh, if being God. honest, which sounds quite horrible. I mean, I don't think we're going to see it actually happen, but I uh, could see like his body up there. God, and I don't, the start. Like, that sounds man. dark, but I could see that being a catalyst for this whole that would, fight. You know, in a season where we got, uh, we got, you know, we've got us thought, thought dead Stark back in Benjen. And we got finally got a reunion between two Starks with 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 John and Sansa. That would be, you know, the most Stark thing to happen would be for Rickon to die. Yeah, so, I could uh, see that happening. And then uh, the other question I want to ask in relation to the preview, Dominic, the Littlefinger dimension to all of this: Is he going to come and come to aid Sansa and John? And if he does, how do you think it's all going to go down? I think he has to. I think he he has to come to their aid, and I think, um, I think John won't want to trust him, but uh, ultimately, Sansa will convince him because you know John won't want to trust him because remember Littlefinger betrayed Ned all the way back in season one. He accidentally betrayed Sansa last season, and you know that his little accident had horrific repercussions. 
and you know we, we did get that great scene between the two of them earlier this season where she got to confront him about that and, and ultimately i think um it'll be a, an, 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 an an uneasy truth a truce um but it, it's one that will take place for the sake of taking back winterfell but ultimately, I, I still think Littlefinger is marked for death, if not this season. That Well, probably not this season. Uh, but I, And I do still think that Sansa will be the one to uh, to carry that out at some point. But, so you think that Littlefinger is going to arrive before the battle rather than during? Oh. Um, because if he arrives during, surely they're not going to sit there arguing. They'll be like, get in the bloody battle, please. Yeah. <laughs> We're desperate here. I feel like there's more drama if he uh, if he shows up before the battle. So I'm I'm hoping he shows up before the battle. I love that. Can you imagine if he turns up and then John turns him away? Yeah. And then they're gonna have to run back and plead with him. Please, <laughs> please, we need you. Um, don't go. Another little theory that I've been hearing about, actually, I don't know what I want to get your opinion on this. Is uh, looking at Ramsay's alliances with his houses. Some people have said that. Uh, you know, Littlefinger being the mastermind he is, may well have paid off some of these houses to work with Ramsay to kind of have that, you know, external threat um, to to the Starks. Um, and then at some point, that Littlefinger could also work to kind of pull the plug on these alliances or kind of cement his own position if he does win the battle. And you know. Ramsay gets killed, but some of the other houses remain intact. Interesting, interesting. I, I, I would like that. I'd, be, I could, I could see that. I would like, I would like to see that. I think, like that could be a good, uh, a good way for that story to go. Yeah, well, I'd be interested because we haven't really seen much Littlefinger now since uh-huh. episode five, and I don't really know what he's doing. He just is yeah, he just been... is he just standing at Mount Moat Cave <laughs> with like a watch, thinking, "Oh, how long are we going to stay here for? <laughs> just another day." That's what the soldiers are saying to Littlefinger. How long are we going to stay here for? Just another day. Yeah, yeah. Sansa will come back. <laughs> but he's got his letter now, so yeah, that's true. That's true. So we we shall see. It promises to be one hell of an episode next week. Game of Thrones episode season six, episode nine, the battle of the bastards. And that's it for us for this week. What an episode, uh, only to be matched and surpassed. Hopefully uh, next week when we gather again to discuss the battle of the bastards. So, uh, be sure to keep your eyes open on your, on the feed for that, uh, after the episode airs and, uh, uh, but before we go, before we go, can't forget to do this. I almost forgot to do, to do this, but we won't forget. Just time for final thoughts and score out of 10. So I'll throw it over to you, Karen. Final thoughts and score out of 10 on no one. No one. Very, very different interpretation of this episode in some respects to you, Dominic. But there are also some uh, similar perceptions I have of this episode. I really enjoyed it personally. Yes, you could argue it's perhaps a bit more of a setup episode again. Not too, too much went down if you compare it to earlier episodes in the season, such as the whole you know, brand vision thing, the reveal of Benjamin Stark, the death of Bruce Bolton. Yeah, nothing like that happened, or the return of Jon Snow, to be honest. But <laughs> yeah. I do think that there were some really good moments in this episode. I really enjoyed the King's Landing stuff. Um, okay, I talked about the whole mountain 
perhaps disappointment in that. But the throne room scene I thought was very, very well executed and well acted. Uh, and the whole rumor story has got me very, very intrigued. I loved all of the scenes with the Hound in this episode. I agree with you. I think his story was very much a standout in this particular episode. And it was great to see some of the old brotherhood uh, and know that there's still there's still a bit of good in them, that they still have some morals about them. Um, the Aria stuff I really enjoyed as well because, you know, we got to see a bit of a resolution to her story. We may not see her again until next season, but we now know the fact that she is no one. She is not no one. Let me say that again. She is no one. She is not no one. I, you know what? It's as confusing to me as it is to Arya. You know, she is someone. She is Arya of Winterfell, and she will be returning to Winterfell. She is a Stark. Um, and then, of course, we had the Marine stuff. I wasn't as interested in the Marine stuff, if I'm being honest. After the various kind of secret mission thing, I the, the kind of drinking scene wasn't that interesting to me. Okay, he did have that funny line, but I did feel it was a little bit out of place. Um, and it, But it was good to see Danny's return. I'll give them that. And then the final story, River Run, which is the massive debate that we were on. I I felt there were the, 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 the storyline perhaps could have had a better resolution to it, but I enjoyed the resolution that was given to it nonetheless. It was great to see the character interaction between Jamie and Brienne. What a great reunion that was. I love the scenes between, the conversation between the characters of Jamie um, and other ones like uh, Edmure Tully as well. The Blackfish, I thought he was great, although it's a shame we didn't get to see his death, but you know perhaps he isn't still dead. And I love the farewell as well between Jamie and Brienne. We didn't really talk about that, but I thought that was, you know, it was such a poignant moment. And I think that really pulled at your heartstrings and just reminded everyone that, yes, Jamie does care for Brienne. So I'm actually going to give this episode a 7 out of 10. I I did it very much enjoying it. It's not the best one, but it was still a good episode. Over to you, Dominic. Final thoughts and score out of 10. Yeah, well, I started this episode by calling um, no one a dud. Like I said, I think that was a little bit too strong. It wasn't a dud. It wasn't a bad episode. It just, uh, you know, we season eight, season eight, geez, uh, season six of, has been so strong that, um, you know, an episode like this stands out as being considerably weaker. And, and I think, you, you know, the, the way the Blackfish storyline wrapped up, the, the, the oddness with the end to Arya's storyline, um, as well as... Um, you know, just just generally, the the episode just being a little bit, um, you know, it, it was a set up, set up episode, um, like you said, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. We know we're getting into some some big big stuff, and you need the set up episodes, uh, but it, it did feel a little bit like a like like there like there could have been more. And again, also the marine stuff was just kind of okay, just kind of okay. Got it. We got a great line from Grey Worm, but. And, and some funny, uh, funny interaction, but it, it, it didn't add too, too much. I don't think necessarily. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give this one a, a, a six, a six out of ten. So, an okay episode, an okay episode, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. So that's it for us for this week. Like I said, we'll be back next week to discuss the Battle of the Bastards. In the meantime, 
Uh, be sure to check out my other podcast, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. You can find that by hanging over to StarWarsUnderworld.com or you can tune in live on Thursdays at 9 p.m. on channel 1138.com. Or you can find it on iTunes. Just search for the Star Wars Underworld. We're talking all things Star Wars. we got a big update on Star Wars Celebration coming up this week. Uh, of course, Celebration happening next month in London. So excited for that. Plus, tons of news out of E3. So you definitely want to check that out. Uh, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Just search for at uh, Watcher Westeros on Twitter. You can search for the Watchers of Westeros uh, on facebook search for watchers of westeros on itunes and you can follow us personally i'm at dominic j25 and kieran is at c duggan six that'll do it for this week be sure to tune us tune in next week we cannot wait to talk about that episode with you all then so long for now It's a rap. 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 Sorry, I, I, did, I did say it's a, and then I forgot my mic was off. Rap. <laughs> rap, lad. Rap. Rap. <laughs>